When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, whenever a spell lets him draw a card, he busts out a pen and paper and actually literally draws a card. It's Matt Morgan. So my friend's kid challenged me to find a word that rhymes with curious and I wasted my entire weekend. They tricked me. There is no word that rhymes with curious. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm absolutely furious. No word at all, for sure. Um, this whole bit seems spurious. <laughs> yeah, I, so angry. Oh man! Well, I, so that was my I, weekend wasted. I, I wish you the best of luck in in your in your trek there, man. Up next, he was told to shuffle a library, so he's actually been switching around all of the books at his local public town archives. It's Dana Roach. Um, in your estimation, Joy, what do you think the best Christmas present is? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't know. Uh, a broken drum. It can't be beat. <laughs> I knew you'd like the sound of that one. Hey, the double dad joke. Matt, Dana's coming for your dad joke crown. Uh, he's really got his rhythm down with these jokes these days. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I love it. That That just rings true. All righty, let's get to it. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, do you mind telling us what it is we're talking about in this week's episode? Well, this week we're going to ponder the age-old question. Was 2022 a good year when it comes to Magic Gathering, specifically for the Commander format? The age-old question. I feel like it's actually kind of a new question. Only a question that it's is... A, it's a year old. There are <laughs> babies that aren't even a year old, so it's, it's pretty old. Okay, fair enough. Yes, we're going to do a 2022 year in review, looking over the most important cards that came out this year and our overall uh, evaluation of how we think the year went and how EDH and Commander is going to be shaped as a result of it. But before we get to that, we've got some quick shout-outs that we want to do. First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manic Curves, for their help in editing the show. You can find them on Twitter, at Manic Curves. EDHREC is also now streaming on Whatnot. Join our content manager, Jason Alt, as he does openings and giveaways. The very first one should be on the day this episode releases, December 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out EDHREC on Whatnot and look for more info about giveaways by following EDHREC on all our social media. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing this video on YouTube, subscribing your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast, where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the Discord community, whether you want to see all of our historic challenge stats picks, there's all of that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And true to form, we are going to give a patron a shout out just for going over to Patreon and subscribing and supporting us that way. So this week, Jonathan Urich, thank you so much. Hopefully you don't have a Yarok deck because uh, uh, <laughs> that just rings too close to home for me and uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to handle that. No, I think that sounds fantastic. And Jonathan Yurik, Yarok as well. See, Matt, what I did there with the, the Yarok? I, I did, I did. I hope you appreciate it. I am not making a fool of myself at all right now as I explain the joke, which makes it funnier. Anyway, let's get into our main topic here, our 2022 year in review and talking about basically what we thought of the sets this year, the most important cards. And actually, let's just open with 
Kind of a loaded question. Maybe it's a softball question. Dana, I'll throw it to you. Overall, do you think that 2022 was a good year for Magic? I think it was. Um, yeah, it felt like it was. It was maybe an exhausting year in Magic. Um, but maybe we've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten used to the pace as well. But, I, but like, I think by and large, every set that came out was one that I thought was successful and I enjoyed mostly. Um, there's maybe one exception, um, that I'm, we might talk about at some point. Hmm. But yeah, I, I think it, it was by and large successful. I mean, there were some things that, that missed, I think, but I enjoyed at least the, the main base sets and all the commanderoided product that came out. Okay. I mean, I agree with Dana for the most part. After 30 years of magic, there's going to be something in those 30 years of magic for 30 years that misses the mark. <laughs> uh, but as, and, and yes, 2022 was was no different. Uh, I There's some stuff that I just wasn't excited for. The pace is what kind of gets to me. But if you're a casual magic player, you just like playing with your friends. You have, you know, the, the less interested people, uh, at least invested, like how much time they invest in it probably love it because there's always something new to be going and in, in, in mm. looking into. Uh, for us, it was hard keeping up because uh, I, there's a reason we don't do set reviews anymore, folks. And 2022 is why we don't do set reviews on this show anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally just can't keep up with it. Like, honestly, big shout outs to folks like the Command Zone, for instance, who do still maintain set reviews. And it takes them a month to be able to get through all of the Commander relevant cards because that's just how many Commander relevant their cards in every single set now. So it's just like kudos that you guys keep up with that because it's a pace that we ourselves could absolutely not get to. But uh, yeah, like there's certainly a, a different type of player who's uh, I mean, I think the majority of magic players need to come to terms with the fact that most magic cards are unsleeved right like being actively yeah. online gives us a very warped perception of how, you know how invested magic players are and the reality is that there are a lot of folks who don't even know what eda trek is for example that that kind of thing and that's like a very perfectly fine and normal thing but anyway i think i'm just waxing philosophical here it's good to see that we overall are positive about 2022 so i think that it's probably important that we get into some specifics and actually, I am kind of curious, when we did our 2021 year in review, there were a couple of things that we said that we wanted. And I want to visit those real quick to see whether or not 2022 delivered on those things. So, for example, Matt, you had said last year that you really hoped that in 2022, Watsi would deliver a similar level of attention to reprints as they did the previous year. Is that something that you feel generally good with, okay with? What do you think? Um, I, I feel okay with, I don't feel super excited about, uh, yes, Double Masters 2022 happened, which was a pretty good reprint set. They were a little more mindful trying to slip in uh, quality reprints here and there into all the pre-constructed decks. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I think they could have done better for sure with, with reprints specifically, um, just because it feels like they've shifted, which... I understand the decision to focus on more on new cards and exploring themes, which is also kind of something that we've asked for from Watsi as well. So the, the pre-constructed decks, um, especially the, the new Capena ones, they're pretty specific in what they're trying to do. So general reprints probably got lost a little bit, but I also, I, I, I'm happy with it, but I do think they could have done better. Okay. I, I am kind of with you, maybe even a touch below, if I'm being honest. I was just like, you know, yeah. I was generally okay with the reprints, but... I do believe that they could and should have done better, but that's just kind of my vibe. But generally, I'm still in like a relatively positive give benefit of the doubt kind of mindset. But it's interesting to see that was your hope or resolution or whatever of 2021. And then, Dana, I'll turn to yours. You had been hoping for more diversification for different color options, uh, such as Boros and Simic and Azorius, seeing more variety from the typical types of commanders that we get. Do you think that 2022 delivered on that? I think they did to a degree, or, or at least they tried to. Azorius got a, a handful of um, vehicle commanders, particularly in, in the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty era mm. um, of cards. That was, you know, 20 sets ago or so, but, like, that was still this year. So, so the, yeah, and, and that was very successful. A bunch of those were interesting commanders. It kind of created a bit of a new archetype in colors that didn't have that thing. I think they tried a little bit of it, too, with things like Ivy, Gleeful, Spellfeath, and Simic. Mm. Um I think the problem there might just be that Simic, the color combination makes them all play like Simic commanders, I guess, because even <laughs> when they try to do something different, it still kind of feels like the same thing. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Maybe that's just a problem with Simic too. But I, I, I do think they've tried to do that to various degrees of success. 
Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd co-sign on that. I'm with that. And then uh, the thing that I had mentioned I had wanted last year was to see more exploration of uh, interesting three-mana mana rocks. And boy, did they deliver on that this year. We've talked about it several times in the past. Like, there, there are a lot of amazing three-mana rocks that came out this year. So I know that the thing that I wanted from 2022 definitely happened, and I'm excited to see even further explorations of it. But okay, that's enough about the past. Now we got to get into more of the stuff that actually happened, some specific specifics. Dana, you had just mentioned Kamigawa and the pre-cons and stuff there. So how about we start taking a look at the actual sets that happened this year, the most important cards from those sets, but also not even just that, like your favorite cards from the set too. Like what are the things that really stand out? So starting with Kamigawa, the, the important cards in terms of like what the players probably consider those cards to be, um, Aishin Two Heavens Out as one and a Goshen Tie of Life's Origin really stand out as the commanders that made an impact on what people were brewing this year. They've already, both those commanders raced up the charts to be some of the most frequently built commanders in the last two years, despite only being out a year. Mm. Um so it's so like that, that's really impactful on the format. And the fact that like they've been able to do that in a pretty limited release window is definitely impressive. I, I think it's pretty important to, to note too that Ashin and Goshintai, those are top 20 commanders over the past two years. And, and when you think about all the commanders and all the legendaries that we've gotten, that's pretty high ranking for, for two commanders that have only had less than a year really to kind of sit and have decks be attributed. Um, Ishin has over 9,000 decks and is the number 13 commander in the past two years. Mm. Whereas Goshintai of Life's, Life's Origin has almost 8,500 decks and is number 18. So those both got a lot of attention very quickly and have competed with some commanders that we know have known for years and years. And they're really just holding their own. Oh, yeah, very much. And, the, you know, Atraxa and Eureka are still like way, way up there in terms of popularity. But these commanders definitely made a huge splash. That is for absolute certain. Um, also important for cards in the 99, like the whole channel land cycle, but especially Boseju who endures. Y'all, that card is showing up in over 100 thousand decks 19 percent of decks that are eligible to play the Baseju who endures the channel lane that can destroy an artifact 19 percent of eligible decks are playing it that thing has blown up completely that's definitely like staple status it's ridiculous but does that mean that they are your favorite cards from kamigawa um none of them are my favorites um <laughs> uh in there's although there was a lot of cards i liked a lot from this set um Anything with reality in the name, basically. The reality chip and reality heist both are excellent <laughs> cards. Um, reality chip, you know, for the most part is, is, is kind of a better future site and future sites are already a pretty decent card in, in blue. Mm. Reality heist, if you're playing any amount of artifacts is just a really, really cheap way to draw. They're both very good cards. I'm running both of them in two different decks where they, consistently outperform a reality chip you know is probably the the better of the two but they're both very very good and, and probably two of my favorite cards from this set to see nice yeah i mean this set was fine for me i i wasn't it's particularly excited uh this was just kind of when the the product overload that people like to throw around and talk about a lot with this year for me, these first two sets of the year, I just I wasn't super tuned in on. I do have a favorite card, though, just because I have a brand to uphold. So Spirited Companion, obviously, <laughs> is just the best card in the set. Uh, Yoshimaru, Ever Faithful, uh, two of probably the best cards maybe ever printed, uh, just because they're dogs. And that, that, the like I said, I, I have a brand. So, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, there were some cool mechanics. There were some cool exploring. The, the Reconfigure cards, I actually really liked. I thought it was a fun progression and exploration from Living Weapon when we first saw this kind of mechanic. Uh, so mm. it was really cool. It does like the whole set in general, both the, the pre-constructed decks and the, the main set, they both seem very top heavy as far as impactful cards. But also when you have channel lands like that, you have some very, very, very high impact cards like Basaja who endures. It's kind of to be expected though, where everything else kind of falls to the wayside. Fair enough. Yeah, there have been some cards that crept up on us. Like we've talked about Tamiyo's safekeeping being a, a real creeper sleeper hit uh, that we really enjoyed. I've mentioned before that I love March of Swirling Mists. That modal phase out card is probably one of my favorites. But there is another one that also snuck up on me from the Kamigawa sets, and that's the Cyber Drive Awakener. That's 
Every time I've seen that card, it has transformed the battlefield completely. Uh, that's the six mana four four construct flying. Other artifact creatures you control have flying, and when it enters the battlefield until end of turn, each non-creature artifact you control becomes an artifact creature with base power and toughness four four. So especially with the number of treasures that we have seen, especially after New Capenna came out, this card is genuinely just a finisher. It's like that Rise and Shine card, which we were excited about Rise and Shine when that was printed, and this is kind of another version of that, but also they have flying. So I, I feel like this one is one that just really crept up on me in terms of oh this explodes a battlefield and this is a, a game winning card here so there have been some fun ones to continue digging through with kamigawa in my opinion well both kamigawa and nukapena which was was the next set um coming out this year were pretty big departures kind of aesthetically from what we're used to at magic as well and i was a little bit tentative going in about both those sets but I, I think they did a really nice job of making them kind of mesh in with the existing kind of magic world we've come accustomed to. And yeah, they're different, but like they're not that so different as to be a problem, you know, as small of an issue as that might be, I guess. It's not that big of a deal, but like they did a really nice job with it. So I, I wanted to point that out too. I, I was a little bit concerned as the right word, but curious if they're going to make that work and they made it work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now I guess that's as good a segue as any for us to talk about the stuff that happened in New Capenna. So let's go over some of the big heavy hitters from that set. Specifically, the top commanders that we're seeing are Giada Font of Hope, the mono white angel commander, who currently has 5,000 extra name, rank number 70, which when was the last time that we saw a mono white commander crack the top 100 guys? Like, that's pretty impressive. And Henzi Toolbox Torre, one of the uh, the precon commanders, the Jund precon commander that gives your stuff all of the blitz mechanics. That is also showing up as another very important commander from New Capenna. And then there are some fun cards that do stuff with treasures showing up as the most uh, important cards in the 99 as well. So an offer you can't refuse and professional face breaker are really big ones. That's a blue counter spell that will counter a non-creature spell and give your opponents treasures. And professional face breaker is that amazing one that turns treasures into card draw. Like offer you can't refuse is showing up in 15% of eligible decks, like 74,000 decks. And professional face breaker is showing up in 41,000 of eligible decks. Like these cards got way popular in the 99 treasures exploded. Well, yeah, th this set kind of sparked the memes of you know, the, the why can't you just be a normal card and the cards in the background screaming, <laughs> make a treasure. <laughs> this set, I, I know that we make the joke with every single set, but also they're kind of giving us fuel to make the joke that every set since Commander Legends has been Commander Legends. Yeah, There's just been so much wording and every set since Strixhaven has been Strixhaven. There's just been a novel on every <laughs> single card. And... If they couldn't think of anything cool to say on the card, they just said, make a treasure. And <laughs> that's that's kind of what they did with New Capenna. Well, Matt, you know what cards didn't say treasure on them from the New Capenna set? Were the new Triome cards, like the Jetmere's Garden and all of those. They weren't Triomes, sir. They were probably Triomes. <laughs> but they do appear in 30% at least of eligible decks for each of those. Well, how about favorite cards from, from this set? Is there anything that jumps out at you, Matt, as something they, like you really liked a lot? Uh, so Grand Crescendo was a just totally fine utility card that also just happened to have a ton of upside, uh, being able to make all of your creatures indestructible or also just making a small army at the same time. There's a lot of, you know, do, you know, pay X mana, make X tokens. There's a lot of those rolling around in the format. So to have additional upside stapled onto that. I think is very, very helpful. There's a lot of decks that enjoy playing cards like that. And I know I just made fun of treasures, but big score also, I think like there's just a lot of precedent in order to have these types of cards being played, you know, doing a lot of looting, making some treasures. It just, it's very, very good. There just helps smooth out draws in so many games. Um, I just, I like a lot of the cards, but just overall the, the themes, especially, I I played the precons and it might have been the only time I didn't have a great time playing precons out of the box. Um, if I had a complaint about Nuka Pen, it's just the precons. Uh, they were so wordy that I played a, a four-player pod. Everybody had precons, and after two and a half hours, everybody's like, "I I'm I concede, I guess." Oof. That's that's just kind of the reaction. So that's my only, and probably for this whole episode for the whole year, that's probably my only real complaint is this year's precons for Nuka Penna. They missed the mark for me. Okay, noted. Uh, Dana, how about you? Any favorites? Any critiques? Um, favorites, um, and I think I've mentioned Mask the Schemer before. It was a card I'm a big fan of. Just an equipment that can draw an absurd amount of cards. Um, but the one I think I haven't mentioned that came out of the precons, and I 
do mostly agree with Matt, but Reign of Riches is a fantastic card. It's an enchantment that, that makes a couple treasures when it comes into play, and the first spell you cast uh, each turn, not just on your turn, that uses a treasure has Cascade. Oh. That just just feels so good in a deck that like a routinely makes treasure. Um, and, you know, that one deck I where I run it, it does make a lot of treasure. So just everything I cast on everyone's turn does a Cascade, and that's just so much fun. So, like, that's one of the most fun cards I think I've played this year. Um, yeah, Rainer Riches is, is excellent. That's pretty cool. Uh, we've also talked plenty of times on the show already about uh, the card Protection Racket. That was one that we also really enjoyed, where you get to do stuff with the top of your deck. All three of us have enjoyed just the type of gameplay that that encourages. Uh, so that's a, a personal favorite for me. But, Matt, I also want to shout out Rabble Rousing and Master mm-hmm. of Ceremonies. Honestly, I don't know if I can pick. Rabble Rousing is that hideaway enchantment where it just every time you attack, you get more and more of those citizen tokens, and it just really gets out of hand. And then Master of Ceremonies has been so much fun every time that I've seen it. Every time it hits your upkeep, you get to choose, sorry, each of your opponents chooses to either make a 1-1, get a treasure, or draw a card, and you'll do all of the things that your opponents do. So you might be able to do all three of those things. And that's just, that's a really cool, like, lopsided type of political benefit that helps you completely. And I, I just really, really like those. So there's a lot of fun gameplay to be found. It's one of the few times where White has the thing where uh, your opponents get something, and you, but you get it too. It's probably the only time that it actually scales decently well other than yeah. you get to draw a card but so does everybody else <laughs> right yeah no i think that that's some impressive stuff there and i think it's also worth noting that the card bootlegger stash which people had a really big huge reaction to um wasn't the card like pre-selling for like 50 bucks or something now it and now it's only like six bucks or something like that like that was i think a card that had like a sky is falling reaction to it but it definitely didn't seem to deliver quite as hard as people anticipated I mean, it's it's outside the top twenty most played cards in the set. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is the uh, the the card that everybody was up in arms about. The uh, the the it has to be insta banned. It turned out to be fine. It it's six mana. I I get why it wasn't that all that popular. Mm-hmm. Chronologically, the next set to talk about would be Battle for Baldur's Gate, which we were all huge fans of. But I think before we get to that. There's some stats that must be challenged. <laughs> I, I think we might spend maybe more than a full episode from here on out on Baldur's Gate. So probably need to head it off before we get started. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, let's let's challenge some stats. Keep the people in suspense about that one because there's so much data on EDH Rec, but we don't always agree with it. So let's take a quick break and come back with some challenges. So I'll start us off this week for Challenge the Stats, and this actually goes back to a video that I made, an upping the average video for Yarok the Desecrated, in which a card that I mentioned in that video turns out to actually be better than I thought it was. So Sicarian Infiltrator, in the context of a Yarok deck, is kind of wild. Remember, Yarok is the commander in Sultai that will double all of your Enter the Battlefield triggers, and Sicarian Infiltrator is a card that I liked especially for a budget Yarok deck, because it is that a human soldier flash with squad effect from one of the Warhammer decks. It is a three mana, two one, but you can pay an extra two with that squad ability to get copies of that card. And when each of those copies enters the battlefield, you draw a card. That is the main effect of this thing. So if you play it for three mana and you've got a Yarok in play, you draw two cards, a three mana, draw two with flash. I thought that was really cool. And if you're making copies with it, then you get to draw a couple of extra cards. I thought it was cool in that video, and I didn't realize that Squad also technically counts as an enter the battlefield effect. As an additional to uh, cost to cast a spell, you may pay the squad cost any number of times, and then when this creature enters the battlefield, create that many tokens that are copies of it. Yarok would also double that, so if you squad it for the two mana, you will actually not just get one extra version of it, but two versions of it. So for five mana, you wouldn't draw four cards with Yarok in play you would draw six cards with Yarok in play, and that's at flash speed. So a card that I already liked for Yarok is even better than I thought it was for Yarok. So I want to put that out there for my challenge to stats. If you are playing double ETB triggers, especially if you're playing that deck on a budget, give Sakarian Infiltrator a look, because that is some wildly cool synergy. Uh, my challenge to stats this week is a card that I've got a little bit of experience with lately. Um, I have an equipment deck, and one of the things that I felt like my equipment deck needed was I wanted one more piece of equipment that just flat buffed my creature up to a large number. I had plenty of swords that, you know, gave creatures plus two, plus two, but I wanted something it felt like that just made it big. And, you know, I have a Black Blade Reforged, but like, you know, that's one card. You don't see it often enough. So I was going to try Argentum Armor. Gives a creature plus six, plus six. 
but it cost six to cast. That didn't feel right either. So I gave Imperial Plate a try. It's a two-mana piece of equipment where your creature gets plus one, plus one for each card in your hand. And it's only in about 3,800 decks in EDH rack. Um, I've, I've gotten it out and equipped three different times since I added it to the deck, and every time it's been disgusting. Um, <laughs> I think, the, I think the, the smallest buff it's given my creature is plus six, plus six, and I believe the other two times I was in the 15 to 18 range. Um, <laughs> so, yes, for, for a card that's only in 3,800 decks and only about 50 cents to buy, it's a really cheap piece of equipment that can do a, a lot of damage, especially if you are in a deck that draws a good bit of cards. Um, I've been thrilled with it, and I definitely think it should be should see more play in equipment decks. Right now, it's primarily getting ran in the uh, Kamigawa Maro commanders that encourage you to run have a bunch of cards in your hand, so I get why it's there, but you should also consider if you're just playing equipment commander and just want to hit somebody in the face really hard with a Voltron creature, because it will oftentimes be what puts you over the top. Oh, I love, I love that. I've got that in my elegant deck because scrying so much, drawing so much. That is like a genuine win condition for me in that yeah. deck. So Dana, I'm so happy that you've joined the punch people with the number of knowledges you have club. It's <laughs> exactly. so much fun. Yeah. Well, as much as, as much as I appreciate that challenge, I actually think I have a better one and that's only because a listener submitted it. So it, oh. this isn't mine, but I do actually, I very much enjoy this pick. I've been waiting a week actually since we got this email. Um, so Mason Johnson sent us an email, which you can totally do ED hreccast at gmail.com if you have any challenge stats ideas and mason said that they have a challenge while looking for some advice while they're building a brutaclad telcor engineer deck and for those of you who don't remember that is the is it commander that says to creature tokens you control have haste and at the beginning of combat on your turn you create a 2-1 mirror artifact creature token and then you may choose a token you control and if you do each other token you control becomes a copy of that token so Mason pointed out that on the second main phase, you can cast Distant Melody after all of your tokens have become the exact same one, and you get to draw <laughs> a boatload of cards. Uh, one with the machine is already played because Brutaclad happens to be an artifact, and you get to draw a bunch of cards with that. But Distant Melody is a fantastic addition. So for three and a blue, you get a sorcery that says choose a creature type, and you draw a card for each permanent you control of that type. So in your second main phase, after you've gone to Brutaclad's ability of turning all of your tokens into a copy of some other token, say maybe the, the blue mirror artifact creature token that you make, you get to draw however many tokens you have because you've already turned them all into the same type of thing. Uh, this is just a fantastic, huge, huge ceiling type of draw spell. Uh, it's just wonderful to point out. Um, it's just these little cards that we kind of forget about synergize very well that we're just not always looking for that obvious interaction um, is pointed out only 180 decks of Brutaclad are playing Distant Melody. There's over 3,300. So very, <laughs> very small percentage of folks are playing Distant Melody in their Brutaclad decks. Uh, this would be an absolutely fantastic addition because the ceiling is absolutely very high. That's a fantastic challenge. That's super funny. Ah, our listeners always have such good challenges. That's super, super rad. All right. I guess we're getting back into our 2022 year in review now. And Dana, as you mentioned, we are moving now to a discussion on Battle for Baldur's Gate. We've gone into more detail about the set before. As you hinted, we really enjoyed the cards in this set. And this is a set with a lot of... Um, controversy online about it, I guess, like given the way that it was released, there's a lot of discussions about what made this uh, product fail around that time effectively is how I think a lot of folks see it. But for our piece in it, we just really like a lot of the cards that are in it. Um, and historically for me, I have kind of had the experience that when people play against the cards that I'm using from this set in my decks, they're impressed by how good they are. <laughs> like one of the top commanders from the set is Miram Sentinel Worm, the teamer dragon that has ward for some reason and that copies all of your dragons and makes the copies non-legendary. And that thing is busted. Matt, you built the Raga Draga deck. It's one of your new favorites. I've got my Baba La Saga deck, which is genuinely my favorite. Like, and, and people never give that card the time of day until they see how much life it's made them lose like I, I'm just I I am call me biased call me whatever but I really liked this set I think the cards in this set really have snuck up on people with how effective they they are even if the set's release was itself bungled by the company I don't know so so this set for me it's not about having one all-star there there was my room sentinel worm which was a 
it's a top 20 commander over the past two years. It's got over 8,500 decks, number 17 in the past two years. But just the, the sheer like volume of quality commanders means that it, it was really hard for one commander to rise up and have so much because there was so much else going on. Like If we're going to make a baseball reference, there wasn't one superstar that hit 60 home runs. There was eight players who hit 30 home runs. <laughs> and so there's just, there was so much quality across the board that it was really hard for one specific thing. Like what we saw with Neon Dynasty, we saw two commanders that were very, very popular. There was so much going on here. Like there was only so much attention that could go around. And I think that's why we saw so much love for Baldur's Gate when it comes to commanders, hmm. but also not one that just rises above everything else. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I, I think... The, the the problem with Baldur's Gate, such as it was, was I think people just wanted things that were super efficient and and they were when they were expensive but fun and interesting. They didn't like the fact that that they had a high casting cost. That was one of the complaints I heard the most from people. They mm -hmm. wanted the really powerful things to also cost three mana, which doesn't seem like a reasonable demand, I guess, <laughs> um, or, no. or a particularly healthy one for the format. But that was a complaint I heard a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And like, I don't know, there was a lot of, especially when it comes to Matt, you had mentioned like reprints for instance, and there was a lot of talk about reprints for this set. And yes, it absolutely could have been better. And the price of the product is also definitely a factor in like, where was it the coast maybe fumbled with the release of this product? In addition to how many other products that were, that were in my opinion, completely overshadowing it. But like the, the again, just when it comes to the cards themselves and the gameplay states that they produce, I enjoy the crap out of it. And when it comes to the name Commander Legends, I don't know. When I hear the word Legends, I think of the set Legends, Jasmine Boreal. So I did not expect a specific experience from this other than I'd get to draft Commander. And I had a really good time when I got to draft Commander with this set. But like the cards in the 99 are also some real bangers. Like Black Market Connections is already showing up in 39,000 decks. And a lot of people have sort of referred to this as a new type of Phyrexian arena, for instance, that can give you a lot of benefits every upkeep if you're willing to pay life which dana i know that you and i are all about that type of advantage i will i will always pay all of that life yeah <laughs> archivist of ogma is a white card advantage uh flash creature there whenever your opponent search libraries you will get to draw cards that's showing up in 32 almost 33,000 decks a personal favorite of mine decanter of endless water that is a new version of thought vessel but it's more of a three mana get any color and that's showing up in 34,000 decks like oh i i genuinely could talk about this forever but i guess we just have to isolate it down to just a couple of favorites so like I'll, I'll pass it to you guys now but i feel like there are some real standouts in this set yes there were a couple that really jumped out at me um a robot the arc magi um is a piece of equipment where you draw a card based on the damage you dealt so after you equip that imperial plate and draw a bunch of cards and the next <laughs> turn you swing and do it again there's a lot of good synergy there um candlekeep inspiration is a sorcery that makes your creatures have base power and toughness till the end of turn equal to the amount of instant sorceries in your graveyard or in exile. Um, it's a win condition in kind of those spell slinger decks, things like Talran even. Mm -hmm. The card does a ton of work. That's really good. But I think my favorite card um, is Astral Dragon. Yes. Um, Astral Dragon, yeah, it's eight mana. Talking about like powerful things that cost a lot of mana. Astral Dragon is eight mana and it's not going to go in every deck for that reason. But it has an ability when an ETB is you create two tokens that are copies of target non-creature permanent, except they're three, three dragons and creatures in addition to their other type. Um, I, I've made two Revel and Riches uh, yeah. to go with the other Revel and Riches I already had. Uh, I've copied Ristic Study with it before. Um, I, I, I copied, I made two doubling season dragons and <gasps> hit, and then hit my Astro Dragon with Saw in Half. No. Um, You're a monster. <laughs> and that just, yeah. And like, I think someone scoops out of confusion at that point because <laughs> there was just too much going on. Like, it's one of those cards where it, it, it absolutely doesn't go everywhere, but like, when you play it, something dumb is going to happen almost every time. And I am all about that. Oh my God. Matt, how about you? Uh, yes. The, the set was good. There was a lot that was delicious from the set. <laughs> The set is so good. I, I it's, it's actually kind of hard to just put into words um, or to even to like pick anything from there. Uh, stuff that even even like the super niche type of cards uh, like Navigation Orb, like it is totally feasible and fine to put gate packages in any two plus color deck. Mm. Like it, it, that's never happened. Like you have so many more gates now, but also if you're playing three plus colors, 
Basilisk Gate just gets very powerful. It's just kind of a build your own Kessig Wolf run, which is totally cool. And just it's a great, efficient ramp if you're not playing green. There's just a lot of cool stuff going on. I, I liked the gate theme a lot. Um, but also there's just some cool utility cards. Uh, Stone Speaker Crystal. I sorry, Joey, but I have to say it. Like it it's a hey. totally powerful card. Um there's Exiles my graveyard. It, Leave me it alone. It does, and you're welcome, and it draws me a card. So <laughs> I, I, I don't see what the problem is. But th- this is the type of set that we're still just digging through and like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this card? This card is great. Oh my gosh, how did I miss this card? This card is also great. So it, there's just so much going on. It, it's really hard to pick through because we're still discovering everything that was in Baldur's Gate. Like, and I just, yeah. this was my favorite set of the year. I'm just going to say full stop. Um, it, yep. Just amazing. Also, real quick, did you say Basilisk Gate instead of Basilisk Don't, Gate? Is that a... Dana said Obliute one time, so... That's a, <laughs> that's a spicy pick, Matt. That, no, I just... I, I, like we <laughs> Critiquing pronunciations is like the lowest form of comedy, so like honestly... You know what? Why don't you go bond with your throw aunt stones. and just... <laughs> yep. I pronounce it bond instead of bant. I, I get it. I say graven instead of graven. I don't know. Maybe it's a regional thing, but like anyway, Basilisk Gate. I love it. Uh, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like I'm looking through just like, oh, do, do I have any like sh- favorites to shout out here? And like I'm just still picking through the commons and uncommons in this set. Yeah. I really, really like Arenicus's Vile Duplication. Like I think that that is a massive sleeper hit. Although I don't know how much of a sleeper hit that you can count it it's an uncommon that's worth like four dollars right now because that's the sorcery that gives you a non-legendary flying token of one of your creatures it just copies one of your things like you you get to have two commanders to this like that that is an uncommon version of basically a spark double that is intensely good or inspired tinkering which is impulse draw that also gives you treasures i i am over the moon when it comes to the the stuff in the set matt i completely agree with you this is the type of set that i think you can look through and you'll be like Oh yeah, this this is actually kind of neat. Like that is the type of experience that I have when it comes to this set. But, so. but then even w- like what Dana pointed out with some people were saying that some cards were too expensive. I know Legion loyalty, or sorry, Leg Ion loyalty. Um, sorry, <laughs> Joey. Um, it, it's an eight mana for enchantment that says creatures you control have myriad. Uh, yeah, like eight mana. That, that's a lot of mana. But then I played this in Brian Kibler's Girid deck. And I understood why this was eight mana. Right. Like this card is absolutely <laughs> wildly preposterous. I love this card, but it's it's fantastic. And so even the cards that were expensive, most of the time they're they're worth it. And we haven't even touched on how great the backgrounds were. And like, oh my god, how, yeah. How many decks I'm going to be jamming those into for years to come? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any partner deck? Yeah. No. Yep. Just really, really big into it. So, okay. We talked a lot about that. Again, I know that there was like a bunch of stuff about when and how the set was released, but dang it. When you just look at the actual cards on their face, there are so many gems in this one that it really does. Matt, as you said, it takes set of the year for me, even if there could have been things to improve. I just am really in love with this one. And I like the limited format. We need to move on or else we'll spend the rest of the episode talking about this. Let's talk about Dominaria United and its associated pre-cons. Dana, what did you think of of Dominaria United. Well, we we started the year with kind of two forward-thinking sets that were like looking at the the strange directions that Magic can go, and we close it out with two sets that very much were looking to Magic's past. Hmm. Literally, in the case of Brothers War, um, <laughs> that we'll talk about next. But like Dom United was very much a nostalgia set, um, particularly for cardboard boomer players like myself. Um, <laughs> And I didn't build any decks with any of the new versions of the Legend Commanders, but man, that I love seeing all of them and like reading the text and like seeing the callbacks to the previous versions of those cards. Um, I think this might be one of the sets this year that I I used the least amount of cards from for my deck, mm. but I think it's the set that I most enjoyed reading the cards and seeing the things from it. So. Purely on that level, it was absolutely a hit for me, even if I didn't find that many cards to actually use in any of my builds. I I want 100% echo that, Dana. Uh, I may not have gotten a whole bunch of singles from this set, but I was so invested in the previews just to see what they were calling back to, what they were like, the lore. And it reminds me of when I was a kid and and we were going through the Brothers War. Um, So for what Neon Dynasty was for a ton of people out there, I know people love the flavor and the lore of Kamigawa and and getting to see it kind of redone and and updated. That was for me what what Dominari United was. I absolutely just, I loved it. I love seeing the names and kind of resurrecting a lot of the, the, the characters. That was just, well, and literally 
actually resurrecting Urtai in this case um, because that's <laughs> that's a new card now. But there was all just so much fun stuff going on here. I I loved it, um, and that's it. That's not even to say like there weren't great cards there because there's stuff like Jota the Unifier already has over five thousand decks, and the set's only been out for a couple months. So yeah, yeah, it, that that turns out people like five color legends um, and that's what Joda does very very well Joda Joda the unifier is actually bonkers to me because if y'all have ever played sliver decks you know that there's the first sliver which gives all of your slivers cascade and there's also sliver legion which is a coat of arms effect for all of your slivers they each pump each other up for each other sliver you have Joda the unifier is both of those things on a single creature for your legendary spells that's wild. Like the first liver is also already just amazing, but Joda the Unifier doing both, it is no surprise to me that this already cracked into being a top 100 commander of the past two years, even after just a couple of months. This this is a wildly good card. And the Legends Matter theme that was expressed in this set was a little bit too niche for me. I kind of fall into the same line as, as you, Dana, where there weren't as many inclusions from the set for my specific decks. But the stuff, the strategies that the limited environment was evoking was really cool. So even if I don't know all that much about Dominaria's past and even even if it didn't have a whole lot of cards for, for my own decks, I really respected the crap out of this set because of the cool stuff that it was doing and seeing what the commanders were up to. It was a, a fun thing to witness for sure. Were there any particular cards that read, like you said there wasn't a ton of them, but was there anything that was a hit with you, Joey, that you wound up putting in a lot of your decks? Um, I think the most prolific card for me was actually Tear Asunder. That's the green instant, but it has a black kicker cost. So it's a Golgari specific or a black green plus specific card. Uh, you exile target artifact or enchantment for two mana, or if you pay the kicker, that's four mana, uh, and you can exile target an online permanent instead. I think that's the card that's shown up most in my decks from this set because I play a lot of black and green. Shh, don't tell anybody. I know that's news, really big news. So I think it was sort of a, a one, one of those cards, more of a, a roll fuller than a specific huge standout but i still respect a set that gives me great commons and uncommons i mean terra sunder is a, a super flexible super great card i i very much love that i've been finding any decks that i just happen to play black in with green doesn't happen often but i do find places <laughs> for it every now and then um it's just a great card yeah i, I agree joy yeah okay favorites for you then matt uh relic of legends that card is great <laughs> <laughs> fantastic um it's better than coalition relic in 98 percent of decks these days because what deck doesn't happen to have you know of the of the 30 creatures in it 15 happen to be legendary because that's just the, where design is in 2022 um relic legends is fantastic it's probably the best three mana mana rock we've had in a while and that's that's a crowded field um i joy i know you you like this mana this this type or this archetype this is very very good um, but also There's like the three mana mana rocks that give you the bonus. Absolutely love them. Yeah, they're so good. Um, but also like the defiler cycle actually has kind of surprised me with how potent it's been. Uh, defiler vigor is the most popular among those. Uh, turns out being able to pay life instead of mana is very, very powerful. And so giving you a benefit to doing that mm. also just kind of compounds how good those cards are. Um, I really like them. And also, what is it with black and getting mono black legends that are just terribly unfun to play against? Because uh, Shieldred, the Apocalypse, ah. <laughs> can just straight get unprint. It's not, it's not Turgrid levels of, of God, I, I hate this. Say, is this your new Turgrid? It your is new not, white is, whale that you must It is hunt? not the new Turgrid, no. Um, because I still get to keep my things. But oh, I, I played against one recently, and that was a rough experience. It's very, very potent, and it's one of the most popular cards showing up in the 99 of decks as well, followed by another mono-black legendary creature, Braids Arisen Nightmare, also showing up in a whole lot of the 99s of decks, too. Those are some very good effects, although I think we maybe forgot to mention the number one card from this set that is showing up the most in the 99, and that's Plaza of Heroes, which is an interesting uh, little utility land there that can color fix quite easily for you and protect your commander as well. So there's, a, again, spicy legendary matter stuff happening in this deck matt i hope that you get over your hatred of amazing mono black cards in the future um but time will only tell time will only tell i think the the two cards that i like the most um one i have not even found a use for yet but i just like like the card i actually specifically ordered a foil version of it relatively early on because i'm like someday i'm gonna find a home for vesuvan diplomacy hey. that's that's the enchantment whenever you cast a spell that targets only a single artifact or creature i control i create a token it's a copy of that thing i don't have any place for it right now but like at some point i want to because that's just a really cool card 
Um, the other one that I do run in a deck and have had great luck with is the Reaver Cleaver. <laughs> um, which yes. Is kind of a fixed version of Dockside. Um, it, it buffs the creature, gives it trample. Whenever it deals combat damage to a to a player or planeswalker, you make that many treasure tokens. So you just put it on something with a big body and start making treasures. It, it's a fair version of that kind of mechanic, I think. Um, but it still is very strong and, and, and feels very good to successfully use. And I've, I've made plenty of treasures with it so far. So um, <laughs> those, those are the two that I think are my, my most favorite out of this set. The Reaver Cleaver, I, my fun story about that card is I got to play a game with friend of the podcast, Travis Gafford, who you might know from League of Legends uh, podcasting. Uh, so in his second game of Magic the Gathering ever, we saw another ever, right. <laughs> another another player was playing the Reaver Cleaver. And after two combat steps, Travis looked at me and said, that card's kind of a problem, isn't it? So even <laughs> somebody in their second game ever can realize how wildly powerful reaver cleaver is i it, it is a and, great card. and it's a f and it's a fixed version kind of a backside <laughs> yeah <laughs> something something treasures are real good maybe <laughs> something we learned over the course of this year maybe yeah oh that's fantastic okay well dana you mentioned that we ended the year with two sets that were nostalgia focused and the other one was of course the brothers war and its associated pre-cons um so i guess we can talk about those now there's an interesting thing. I don't know if this will ever happen for any other set, but the most popular commanders from this set have been Urza and Mishra and also Urza and Mishra. So the pre-con commanders and also the meldy ones from the main set are both putting up some decent numbers. We've It's a very, very new set at the time of recording, so we don't have like a bunch of stuff, but those are definitely the ones in the lead, which is very, very fitting for this set, I would say. Um, yeah, I guess what are you guys like, Dana, do you have the same respect and nostalgia for this set as you did for Dominaria United? Do you think that this set also uh, hit that mark on the head? Very much so for me, yeah. I, and I think the two sets kind of feel to me like a, you know, part one and part two of the story. Yeah, so they continued the good vibes that I got from Dom United and, and it carried over to Brothers War. It was a great set with a ton of great callbacks that I really enjoyed for that feeling. Um, the only kind of thing, I guess this is a strange complaint to have, but having gotten to play one of the pre-con decks against non-Brothers War pre-cons, mm. ones from, say, um, Innistrad last year or from even Nukapena or Kamigawa, it very much felt like I was cheating just by using that Urza's <laughs> deck. They're so much better than any of the previous pre-cons released this year. I guess maybe aside from the um, the Warhammer decks, but um, yeah, just crazy powerful compared to other pre-cons. So, I mean... That's not a bad thing necessarily. It just, like I said, I felt like I was cheating by using it. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> the Urza deck was super fun to watch happen. It, it was weird to me that they pitched the Mishra deck as the go big when you're making four fours pre-con and, and Urza was the go wide. Um, when when those, the, the Karnstrucks or whatever you want to call them that get bigger with everyone that's out there, those are routinely eight eights. So yeah, I, I don't know why they drop an eight eights on turn like four or five. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're for doing. Urza, nothing, Urza's yeah. going wide and big, and Mishra's over here just yeah. doing his best. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so I actually, so Dana, you got to play the Urza one. I got to play the Mishra, which I I really enjoyed playing. I've never had a Grixis deck before. Mm -hmm. um, I the everything about the flavor was just absolutely on point. I love the old borders. I love the the flavor and the callbacks and, and getting to kind of see the sets I grew up playing all over again through a new lens. I, mm. Just the nostalgia factor was up to 11. I, it was absolutely amazing. I I, I loved it. Um, and the cards, like there's a, there's a lot of really good cards in here too. Um, I, I totally glanced over Takesha's Welcome. That card... Uh, it's great. If you can reliably make tokens every single turn, Takeja's Welcome is just going to draw you a card every single turn. Yeah. Because uh, whenever a creature or one or more creatures, excuse me, enters the battlefield with mana value three or less, you draw a card. And that only happens once each turn, but it's every turn. So every player's turn. So if you're doing this around the table, you get to draw four cards a turn from this. This is so good. It's so good. Mm. Yeah, there's there's really cool stuff. Matt, you and I are both a, a fan of some landfall shenanigans. So Awaken the Woods, which has caught a lot of players' attention. So I far. don't know why yeah. they thought that was a good card to print. 
<laughs> the X green green sorcery create X one one green forest dryad land creature tokens. Uh, so that's a lot of landfall. That's just a whole lot of landfall that you'll get. That one's really good. But so much landfall. I look forward to getting one of those for my Babala Saga deck because that will be a land and a creature. So I get multiple types that I can nom nom on for my aristocracy goodness. So I'm very excited about this card. Um, currently, the card in the set that is showing up the most in the 99 of decks thus far is the Mightstone and Weakstone, which is part of the Meld Half with Urza. So he's definitely helping out with the numbers there, although it is definitely showing up in more 99s than just the Urza meld combination there. So it's also going to do some work in some other places. It's got an ETB effect to let you draw cards or kill off creatures. So this is probably a really good blink card, I would expect, is what's helping out the other numbers there. But I don't know. For me, I think the most important card from the set might actually be Lauren of the Third Path, because that is a mono-white version of Reclamation Sage. Three mana, two, one in white that lets you destroy an artifact or enchantment. It also has Vigilance, and technically it also has card draw attached to it if you ever want to use that effect where tap you and target opponent each draw a card. I don't know if you will, but like this is also, a, it's a new Reclamation Sage in white, and I don't know, that's pretty darn relevant. So there's a, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot. So, so Dana actually put out a tweet that I'm going to steal this card before Dana has a chance to talk about it, but <laughs> Demolition Field... Um, I honestly, you, you say Lauren of the Third Path is the most important. I think Demolition Field is the most important card from the set. Um, just That's as far fair. as power That's, goes, yeah. it's a fixed field of ruin. It's You can tap it for a colorless or you can pay two and sack it to destroy a non-basic land and opponent controls. And then only you and that opponent get to search up a, a basic land. Uh, I think that's very, very important instead of giving out two free lands to people who are just kind of sitting there just high-fiving each other. <laughs> that That's such a powerful improvement upon Field of Ruin. Uh, Demolition Field, like it's a crowded field of cards that do this kind of thing. Um, and this one's truly outstanding in its field. It's, it's like the best farmer. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the ones that do it better are relatively expensive. Strip mines like over 20 wastelands, close to that. Yeah. And I, I mean, you can make the argument that particularly in Commander, the ability to replace itself with another basic is, is sometimes worth it being not as efficient as, as Strip Mine. So like, yep. I don't think I would say it's better than Strip Mine or Wasteland, but no. if I want a third, third one of those effects and I, and I have those two, or I just don't want to spend a ton of money, I mean, it's probably the best, the, the third best option out there in a, in a field where you probably want to cut, want to run a couple of these in every single deck. I have totally used Ghost Quarter on my own stuff for additional landfall effects, you know, and Demolition Field also gives you that. So this is even relevant in landfall decks as well. And it's just, it's a good effect regardless of that. Like this is, yeah, it's very spicy. Yeah, I mean, you have Tectonic Edge, you have Ghost Quarter, you have other cards along this. Yes, two mana, effectively three, because you have to tap this land as well to get this effect. It's steep, but also compared to other things where it's replacing itself, I think the the, the trade off is totally worth it. It's yeah. it's truly, truly, probably it's up there with strip mine and, and and wasteland when it comes to land destruction. But also, you're not setting yourself back, and that's very, very important. Field of Ruin is currently showing up in 58 thousand decks according to EDHREC. This card has a home in the format because it is a better version of Field of Ruin. So yes, fantastic. Well and we talked about Takesia's welcome as a as a nice piece of white draw. Um Symmetry Matrix is really, really good too. You can spend a mana to draw a card if a creature came into play that has equal power and toughness. Oh well, you're right. making making those tokens off uh, off Takesia or drawing the card off Takesia's welcome. You can also spend one mana and draw one more card because almost every token, particularly if you're playing white, is going to come into play with an equal power and toughness. There's just a lot of token decks where that's a really, really good card too. Or Matt, what was the one, the platoon something that you were talking about right before we hit record? I can't remember the name. Platoon Dispenser. So so this set, I, I was so caught up in just enjoying the, the cool setting and everything that I missed all the mythics that just happen to be absolutely busto. So Platoon Dispenser is five mana for a four six that says at the beginning of your end step, if you control two or more other creatures, you draw a card, which you're playing commander. That's super easy to do, but you can also pay four mana. So three and a white and make another creature token. It also has unearth. Like there's a lot going on there. And we haven't even talked about stuff like Firection Flesh Gorger or all these other just <laughs> stupid, stupid cards because 
Marl Shield of Argive, which gives you a Grand Abolisher effect and gives you tokens. And one with like, the multiverse. What's ever been wrong with being able to cast cards for free from the top of your library? That's never gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm also kind of interested to see whether Fade from History pulls any any fun punches uh, in EDH as well. Uh, it's the four mana green sorcery. Each player who controls an artifact or enchantment gets a bear token, and then you destroy all of the artifacts and enchantments. So if you can't afford a Bayonet Progress, here's a new version that also has some token stuff going on like it's just and th- th- there's also just a boatload of just commons and uncommons that also happen to be super powerful and, and useful in certain decks uh, bitter reunion i know somebody pointed out this card is probably one of the most important cards from the set and it's a common and granted they were talking about 60 card formats but two mana so one in a red for an enchantment says when it enters the battlefield you can discard a card and then you draw two cards right off the bat that's that's automatically on rate but also you can pay one and sack it and creatures you control gain haste until end of turn that's yeah that's just it's, it's fantastic like there's so many <laughs> we we gush about all these mythics that we totally missed but there's also a ton of commons and uncommons that we also missed like overwhelming remorse joey's never going to pay more than one mana for that card no yeah i will exile your creatures because my graveyard is very large very big and then and then i use that as removal like yeah this this has kind of a, another Baldur's gate e kind of vibe to me a little bit where mm-hmm. i was a little bit overwhelmed i was just like oh i can't actually keep track of literally all the cards that are coming out right now there's too much old border for me to focus on what's happening and then once i start actually like being able to scour through the cards in this set there are some fantastic things even at common and uncommon that i'm very very impressed by and that's a really good thing for a set to have um, technically speaking, you guys, we have actually skipped over a couple of other things that happened this year too, like the Warhammer precons that Dana hinted at earlier, or Jumpstart has just come out. We have like no data on it, although for the record, it looks like the monkey is probably going to win that that popularity <laughs> race. Um, and also, Infinity happened this year as well. Um, so. We can briefly talk about those things if we want. You know, Gearson Starn Kellermorph is the most popular commander from the Warhammer deck so far. That's neat. Sawn Half, that's showing up in a couple of decks. Dana, you mentioned you like that card. It's a really good card from Infinity. Um, do you like the cards from Infinity? <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> I I don't. There's have a we reached things. the can of worms part we, of the podcast? We, yeah. <laughs> we we were having so much fun too, and Joey. I know. <laughs> it, it also this like I don't think there's anything objectively bad about Infinity or something. It's just 100 percent not anything I'm interested in. Like I don't find the the unset humor very funny. Um, I really don't like the fact that like you're trying to figure out what shape this little tiny hollow <laughs> foil stamp is to determine if a card's illegal, and even that doesn't necessarily tell you if it's legal because some of them were wrong. Um, so there there was definitely some logistical issues there, but primarily I just it's just not something I enjoy in general, even if a couple cards did make their way into my decks. Okay. Matt, how about you? Any of the above? If you like the Warhammer stuff or if you didn't on the Infinity, we don't have to linger. I was just riling to rile. I mean, so, so overall the sets, all, all three of them kind of felt like a chore. I love Jumpstart, but also it, there was just... It, the, the it, everything blurred together at this point. Yeah. Um. So we we just gotten done with Brothers War. We're trying to figure out everything else, and then Jumpstart's just kind of there. Sure. I I'm I'm going to play Jumpstart, but I'm literally going to go through preview season four as I'm playing it because that's just where I'm I'm at. Um, my pre-orders haven't shown like hadn't shown up yet from Brothers War before <laughs> we were already looking at spoilers for Jumpstart. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's, there, there's cool singles for sure. Like there, there's stuff worth pre-ordering. I know Planar Atlas. I really like Dana. I, I, you and I both kind of are like, okay, this is this is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Cool new Mana Rock. Really cool new Mana Rock. Yeah, I'm way into the card Pirated Copy. I think that's a neat one. That's a, a new clone that can enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it stays as a pirate. And it also has whenever this creature or another creature with the same name deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. So you'll draw cards off of the other copy. But I especially like it for token decks because I think all of those tokens have the same name, right? So I think that that's yeah. kind of like yeah. really there cool tech if you're playing a blue token deck. Like, oh, that's that's kind of neat. But it is very much a... Oh, we're getting all caught up in, in all of these things. Absolutely. Uh, it's <laughs> hard to keep up. There, there's only like four cards that you can play in your regular commander decks from Unfinity. Uh, I did I did like Starlight Spectacular. Dana, that was another card I know you liked too. That one, it, it feels like a fixed Cathars Crusade, or at least a less hard to play with <laughs> yeah. Cathars yeah. Crusade. 
Um, you, you don't need a math lesson to in order to, to to play this card, which is very much appreciated from a non-math major uh, in college. So I don't even know. I feel like this one makes me do more math than Cathar's Crusade. I don't know if you no. like. It's a lot of pump for for all the creatures. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I feel. I feel that's like why you just keep, that's why you just kill the opponent with it, so you don't got to worry about like figuring out the exact numbers. Just, I, just trust me that you're dead, Joey. Just trust me. Right, right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to make a, a note about the Warhammer decks, I guess. There is a ton of good singles that I found for decks out of the Warhammer decks. But for me, the most notable part about those are it's just a collection of four great decks that play really well together. Mm. And I don't think we've ever, at least in my memory, had such a collection of so evenly matched decks that were such a good time to actually bounce off one another. Uh, that was just a fantastic experience. And they clearly put a ton of thought into designing these, you know, not to slag on other product they put out over the course of the year, but like they definitely went the extra mile designing those decks. Um, you can see it both in, in the, the singles. You can see it in how well they're constructed and how well they play together and how well they play against one another. So I, that's really worth noting is if you just grab those four decks, leave them up and like never do anything but play against each other Warhammer deck. That's a pretty great use of your time, I think. Yeah, there's there's fun stuff happening. There. I mean, I, I literally mentioned a, in Challenge the Stats, I was talking about Sakarian Infiltrator. Um, and in terms of my own stuff, my own decks, like I really like the Necron Deathmark. That is kind of a, a new version of Ravenous Chupacabra a little bit because it ETBs and it kills a creature, but it also has flash and I get to mill some cards while I'm doing it. Like, yeah, I kind of love that for a whole lot of my decks that care about creatures and reviving creatures and doing amazing stuff with the graveyard. Uh, Scepter of Eternal Glory is a new mana rock for monocolored decks that is really expensive right now, and I would love an in-Magic Universe version of that card ASAP, Wizards of the Coast. Please put the reprint on, on that. That's a really, really cool effect. Yeah, there's a lot going on in, in that set for sure. And generally, I'm like, oh, okay, these are cool things, and I hope that it has been a fun entry-level launch pad, whatever the term would be, for any folks who were playing Warhammer and got into Magic as a result of this. Because uh, welcome to the party. These are, are neat cards. I hope that they are doing the Warhammer stuff well, and I hope that we get Magic equivalents of them pretty soon. But as the cards are themselves, I'm happy to play Necron Deathmark because it's putting in some really good work for me in, in the decks that I have, and it isn't too expensive either. I mean, I, I just hope that Henry Cavill sees these Warhammer 40k decks because everybody, <laughs> Henry Cavill, very verbally and openly is a Warhammer 40k player. I hope he sees those and is like, Magic looks pretty cool and starts playing and because and, that would just be fun. I, I think he's a, a swell dude. But for everything that I'm willing to be like, oh, yeah, OK, 40K did some really cool work here. I have the exact opposite sentiment for Unfinity. Unfinity mm -hmm. to me is an unmitigated disaster. So when it comes to these other sets that we got this year, I look at Unfinity. I'm just like, stickers? Really? And that's kind of my, uh, my final thing on that. My final thing on that. So this gets me to, as a final note to end the show on, after we've looked over all of this data, after we've looked over all of these and named some favorites that stood out from the year, and generally given, you know, we're still, there were, there were some weird bumps, but also like generally we did feel pretty positive about this. Matt, I want to return to you with the thing that you said about the year 2021. You consistently referred to the year 2021 as the year of the precon. And I'm curious for you, what would you call 2022 the year of do you have a thing for that do you have a title for what this year was who it's that's a good question I, I mean honestly like the year of discovery because we're going to be discovering all these awesome cards three years later that we just totally missed uh but also that means that that's assuming that in three years we're not getting compounded 2022 where there's just so much more going on so uh there's just so many cool commons and uncommons and just little here and there cards that you're just going to miss. But then when you see them, you're like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this to begin with? I feel like every single set, whether it's the Warhammer 40K pre-cons, whether it's Baldur's Gate, whether it's Brothers War, all of these sets, just they have so much depth to them that it's it's hard to fully appreciate every single card in there because there's just so much that's good in these sets. Cosine, like genuinely huge cosine. The thing that I'd written down here was calling it the year of hidden gems because so much came yeah, out yeah. this year that we couldn't pay attention to all of those gems. So as an uh, as a byproduct of that, as a consequence of just how overloaded we were with product this year, this is a year full of sets where I will look back through every single one of them. I will comb through those sets and be like, oh, yeah, that's from Kamigabar. Oh, yeah, the Brothers War had this amazing uncommon. I forgot about this one. So I 
completely co-sign on that with you. I think that's a great takeaway for what this year was. It was very everything everywhere all at once. But when we finally get the time to focus on the stuff that was there, we find some really enjoyable things. And I think that's a, a nice sentiment. Dana, do you feel the same way? Do you have a different title for 2022? What do you think? No, I, I definitely think that's the case. And, and since that's the speed of product being released doesn't seem like it's going to be slowing up anytime soon, I think that trend is going to continue. And what I think you're going to continue to see from this is you're going to see a diversity of decks that we maybe weren't seeing three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember go- going into my LGS to play a game after a set was released and you would see four or five people playing the same commander mm-hmm. and running kind of the same deck. Um, nothing wrong with that necessarily, but like th- I don't see that anymore. I, I go into my LGS to play after a new set comes out and since there was 50 commanders in the, in the set, the odds of people playing the same one are pretty small. The odds of people like adopting those same staples are, are, are pretty small because there are so many good cards nowadays too that I, I think we're seeing a, a diversity in decks that maybe we weren't seeing a few years ago. And for all the downsides of the sheer amount of product being released, I think it's worth mentioning there's plenty of upsides too, especially if you're looking to see a really diverse um, collection of decks and cards showing up when, when you play games. Sounds like you would call it the year of silver linings. Is that? Yeah, I think, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but not Silver Borders. Anyway, with that, I guess we're going to call <laughs> this the episode to a close. Uh, <laughs> listeners, we would love to hear what you thought of the full year 2022. Let us know in the comments. Hit us up online. But for now, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, fellas, where is it that they can find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast every Wednesday evening. We have guests on every single week. It's always super fun. So make sure you tune in because, yeah, we get to play games with cool people. And that's just kind of what this game's about. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDHREC, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me on the socials at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast at EDHRECcast. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, Remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>